All right. You guys sound like you're ready to roll tonight. Hopefully we won't be disappointed. In that, I, I, I mean, I won't be, but I'm being serious. Heavy, heavy, heavy topic tonight. Probably dealing with one of the most difficult things that God has asked us as believers to do for each other, and that is to forgive. Sometimes we have hard times with the piddly stuff, let alone the gargantuan things that will sometimes come into our life and just struggles with people. But as we dig into that, I want to kind of go back because we're dealing with a series called Like, and I want to look at, just to keep you up and catch you up if you weren't here, the last three weeks we've been looking at these parables of Jesus, parables that compare the kingdom of God is like. Now, week one, Hayes taught the parable of the wheat and the tares, and he said, life as a Christian is like fighting a daily battle between the presence of good and the presence of evil. We all understand that, whether we like it or not, just part of life. Week two, Hayes taught on the parable of mustard seed and yeast, and that life as a Christian is like a continual forward-moving journey from infancy into adulthood. It's this maturation process as a believer. And last week, Aquila taught on the parable of the hidden treasure, that life as a Christian is like joyfully giving up all we have to obtain his precious treasure. Now, if you've been following along with us, you know there are 40 parables that Jesus shared throughout his teaching ministry. And out of those 40, Hayes gave us this idea that there were 14 of where Jesus made this comparison. Heaven is like, the kingdom is like. And we're going to jump in with one of those. The kingdom of heaven is like tonight. Now, through the years, I've had folks ask me, John, what's it like to be a hillbilly? And I'll be honest with you, at first it kind of hurt my feelings. Because I was like, you know, we're really not that much different than everybody else until you go back home. And then it's painfully, painfully obvious. Okay, so let me give you some comparisons here. Life as a hillbilly is like shoes are optional. School, funeral, church, wedding, doesn't matter. Up here, we have no shirt, no shoes, no service down there. It's if you have shoes and a shirt, you don't get any service. Life, like a hillbilly, like is a, life as a hillbilly is like wearing hand-me-downs until you look like the trendy kids whose britches look like they were in a fight with a bear on the way to school and lost. Life as a hillbilly is like being prepared for company. There's always a moon pie in the cupboard and an RC or a ski in the fridge. And if you know what a ski is, you've been to the hills. Life as a hillbilly is like, and this is a true story, sitting in your sixth grade class, a black calf shows up right outside the window where you're sitting. Freaking out, you holler bear and head for the door. I have yet to live that one down. Life as a hillbilly is like walking into a setting where no one knows you, 
introducing yourself, and as soon as you say the first word, they go, that dude ain't from around here. Life as a Christian is like. Being a Christian is like living. Can you throw that up for me, Miss Donna? Living in a state of perpetual forgiveness. Perpetual forgiveness. Our teaching today comes out of Matthew 18. So if you want to grab your Bibles and have them ready, we're going to jump in and look at that. But the first part of our teaching shares what, what I'm going to, to label a hard lesson. It's just a hard lesson. Have you ever had those lessons taught to you that going into it, you thought you had an idea of how it was going to come out, and then about halfway through, you get slapped upside the head? That's exactly what Peter has happened to him here. Peter's getting ready to experience this. And if you know Peter, throughout all of the Gospels, he is often the brash one. He's the outspoken one. He is often the one that you can look at and you can see his foot sticking right out of his mouth because he often speaks before he thinks. And a lot of us, a lot of us can relate to Peter. Now, earlier in chapter 18 of Matthew, Jesus just finishes this section off of teaching. And he teaches on a principle that if we would live by today, we could solve a whole lot of problems, a whole lot of relational problems that we create and allow to grow out of hand. If you've ever been crossways with somebody and you have a, a spiritual mentor who simply looks at you and says, Matthew 18, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Matthew 18. If you have a problem with your brother, go to him. If you have a problem with your brother, go to him. If you have a problem with your brother, go to him. Do not go to Facebook and air it out. Do not go to the Instagram and make a post. Do not go to your friends and, and pour out your dirty laundry. If you have a problem with a friend, go to him. So Jesus teaches this directly, going to our brother or sister, friend, to work out our problems and our issues. Fair enough. Difficult, but fair. But didn't you see, Peter, that wasn't enough for him. Peter wanted kind of a quantitative level for this. So he just, he just asked Jesus. He asked him, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. So Peter, you know, here Jesus just blows Peter's math clear out of the water. Now our text says 77 times. Other translations like the King James says 70 times 7. And now let's don't get hung up on the number here because I think Jesus is throwing out a figure that even at 77 times, however many times, we shouldn't be keeping track. And let's be honest, some of you might have though. Jesus' idea was that we forgive continually. When Paul wrote the love chapter in 1 Corinthians 13, he, he shared this with us. He said, it, it being love, it keeps no record of wrongs. I have a buddy that sent me a meme last week hearing that I was preaching on forgiveness, and I want you to take a look at this. Says, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. And over here, the dude goes, Great. Not only do I have to forgive my brother, now I have to do math. 
It says forgive because it's easier than math. Math is hard. So Peter broaches this subject of forgiveness with a simple question, and Jesus replies with this astronomical figure of either 77 or 490, giving us the idea we shouldn't keep count. We shouldn't keep count of how many times somebody offends us. We should not keep count of how, some, uh, how many times somebody, and we get crossways with us. And right out of this, right out of this, where you know Peter's mouth has to be hanging wide open. Because in reality, Peter thought he was doing well. The rabbis of the day only said you had to forgive three times. So Peter's like, well, I doubled it and added one. Jesus is like, no, man, you're not even in the ballpark. You're not even in the ballpark. And Jesus continues on to share this simple parable. I find it interesting that Matthew is the only gospel writer who includes this parable. I think some of it could go back to what Aquila shared with us last week of Matthew's former occupation being that of a tax collector. He understood debts and accounting, so he would have naturally been inclined to include this parable of Jesus within his gospel where the other three don't write about it. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 23, we see this word, therefore. All right, Eastsiders, what do we do when we see the word, therefore? Come on, talk to me. What is it there for? Why in the world is this therefore, therefore? Listen to the parable. Matthew 18. Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. And since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. And at this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. And the servant's master took pity on him and canceled the debt and let him go. Now, I want us to see various stations that this servant goes through in this process of Jesus' parable. The first station that we find him at is this station of debt. He is beyond the capability of getting out of his debt on his own. Now, in my study this week, I came across the depth of this dude's debt. Our translation says 10,000 bags of gold. The King James Version said 10,000 talents. And whichever way you look at it, it was a vast, vast sum. Let me break it down this way. If a man made a common day's wage of a laborer, he earned one denarius. 100 denarii was equal to one mina. So 100 days of work equaled a mina. So 6,000 days of work to earn a talent. And this old boy's debt is 10,000 talents. That is 60 million days of work, or 164,384 years of labor just to pay off his debt, not having any living experiences on top of that. So let's just say this old boy's dug a hole he is never going to see the light of day from. 
He is beyond repayment, but it doesn't keep him from begging the king for more time to pay back everything. And the master, for some reason, had pity on him. He had pity on him, and he canceled the debt and let him go. It's unmerited favor. So there was nothing the servant had done. There was nothing the servant could do to deserve that kind of favor shown to him by the king. And it doesn't take a rocket scientist to sit back and look and go, oh, wow, that's what God has done for us. We owe a debt because of the sin in our lives that we could never repay. But he looks at us and he looks at us through the lens of Jesus when Jesus is our Savior and he doesn't see anything. There's no debt. Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says, For the wages of sin is death. I met with a young man this week who was interested in giving his life to, to Jesus. And when he showed up in the office, I always have a, a just I, every time I meet with a young person, I have one question that I ask them. And, and that one question will really depend a lot of times about whether they're ready to make this decision or not. And I just simply ask them, what is sin? Tell me what sin is. Explain to me what sin is. Well, he was in there with his mom, and he was in there with his dad, and he was in there with his little brother. And uh, he, he just started sharing. He started talking about it, you know, what sin was. Explain it to me. I'm like, oh, man, this, this gets pretty sharp. He knows exactly what he's talking about. And so, so I just, I, I kind of upped the end. I said, so, so have you sinned? He goes, yeah. He says, I've. I've sinned. And, and then I looked at him. I said, well, ha has your mom sinned? And his little brother popped up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I dare not even ask about dad, so we cut it off right there. But we all have. We have all sinned. And in our sin, we owe a debt that we can't pay. But you see, God paid for that debt because Romans 6 does not stop there. It says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, the first station was that he, that he and we owe an incredible debt that we could never repay. But we are released from that debt because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. Now, the second station we see this man at is, is that he is the one who is owed. So again, listen to our parable. Matthew chapter 18, verse 28 says, But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. And he grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. And his fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused and instead he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. And when the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Now think about that for just a minute. Here this guy had just had a, an incredible debt paid. A debt that was beyond, beyond imagination of trying to pay. And he no more leaves the presence of the king being free and now he's looking out for, I'm getting, my, I'm getting what's owed me. And he goes to this fellow servant who had owed him money. And, and there our text tells us it was a, a hundred silver coins, which, which it come down to, that's only about three months' wages. Piddly, 
piddly in comparison to what God won on the king. You see, that's just what he does. He demands getting what he's owed by his fellow servant. Not just demanding it, but he physically accosts him in his demand. His fellow, his, his fellow servant's response isn't any different than his was to the king. Have mercy on me. Give me leniency. Give me time. And I will repay everything to which there was no time. There was no forgiveness. It was simply you're going to jail. Now how can a guy go from being relieved of a debt that he could not even imagine to being so demanding of such a little debt. Now before we start getting too harsh on him, we need to look at our own lives. Every one of us have been relieved of a debt we could never, ever ever start to repay, ever. There is nothing within our human capability or power to pay back what God did for us through Jesus. But how many times are we about this short with our children, our spouses, our friends, we just don't cut them any slack. Why do we struggle with that? Why is it so hard? Why is it so hard for us to forgive when we've been forgiven so much? Well, there's another station that we see this man stop at. You see, he goes from this huge debt to one who is owed. And his final step is that he becomes a prisoner. Matthew 18, verse 32 says, Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. And this is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Now our guy's gone and done it. He's really messed up now. He's royally blown it. Rather than showing mercy as was shown to him and graciously, graciously given by the king, he is now going to be judged by how he judged others. He wanted to hold them accountable, so now he was going to be held accountable. He wanted justice, so now he was going to be held by the same justice he demanded. And it is a scary, slippery slope that many of us find ourselves in when it comes to forgiveness. And I truly believe there's more than just a play on words here of how Matthew described this as a prison. If you have ever struggled with an unforgiving heart, you live in a cave. You live in a cage of bitterness, 
You live in a cage of anger. You live in a, in a cage that limits the joy that you can experience in life. All because we are not willing to forgive. All because we just harbor and we don't release people from where they have hurt us. Now that doesn't give them license to. That doesn't make what they did right. But yet for us to continually hold on to it, hold it against it, be historical about it, and continually bring it up and not release them from that, it just simply puts you in a cage that just, it is crushing. I've debated on whether to even go here or not, but I'm going to. Um, Some of you all have known me for a long, long time. They tease me and say I've been around here since almost Moses. Um, it's not far off. I mean, it's been here 30 years. Some, some of you knew me when I was a kid. I was 25 years old. And when I was younger, this was something I really, really, really struggled with. And it wasn't big stuff. I had people do stuff to me all the time. I, mean, I had people that tried to get me fired. I had people that tried to run me off. I had people, and I was like, ah, no big deal. No big deal. I whatever, man. I, I feel sorry for you. But cross me with something simple. You foul me in a ball game. I was going to get you back. It's going to be legal, but you're probably going to come back with a stub. And if I didn't get you that night, I was going to get you the next time we play. You see that prison? Because you think about it. You dwell on it. And it's rolling over and over and over and over in your head. And I'm going to be real honest with you, that is Satan's, one of Satan's greatest tools to eliminate the effectiveness of a believer is an unforgiving heart. So we went from one that owed a debt to one who was owed into a prisoner. Anybody else struggle with that? I just, I'm just, anybody else struggle? Um, honestly, sometimes it's the way you're wired. Some of us are a little more uptight than others. Um, I wrote this in my notes and I kind of glanced over it, but I want to go back to it. Um, my brother and I, we're about as different as night and day. You look at us and you're like, okay, yeah, they're brothers. Um, when we were young, we used to come down here to the mall, like late elementary school, middle school. People thought we were twins because we were about the same size. Um, not anymore. He's 6'4", 200. I'm not. <laughs> I'm more of a fire plug. Um, 
we're as different as night and day, personality-wise. Um, about seven or eight years ago, he, he lived in Frankfort, Kentucky, worked for the Kentucky Historical Society, and he got a job over in Virginia. He's a history dude, um, worked at a Civil War battlefield. And uh, so I moved him back over. And in the midst of that move, which I wasn't real happy about because he'd been away for a long time, and I kind of had my brother back again, and that was really cool not just for me, but for my mama and for my kids. Um, but that's where he needed to be. That's where he wanted to be. So we're moving him, and, and, and there was, it was like one of those days where nothing went right. And you show up, and, and the truck's not ready, and, and, and somebody cuts you off in traffic, and, and this and that. And, I, and man, I was, I mean, I was, my, my shorts were in a wad the whole day. And I'm griping. And I'm griping, and I'm griping. And I remember we were sitting there in Dinwiddie, Virginia, at a subway, and I'm griping. And I love my brother, and he just simply looked at me and goes, Dude, it's not that big a deal. And I'm like, But! But that's the way he's wired. That stuff just rolls off his back. He is just like my dad. Nothing, nothing, nothing fazed my dad. He's wired just like my dad. Now, I'm more like Mama T. Do not cross Mama T, or you'll know where I got it from. It's a good woman, but don't cross Mama T. So that's, sometimes that's just a struggle is, is, is how, we're, how God created us, and some of us have a greater obstacle to overcome. Now, I want to look at this quandary, though, or, or, or I want you to listen to this quandary, and I want to read it again, because this is a quandary that we have to work through and deal with. Verse 35, it says, This is how my Heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. God will forgive you if you forgive other people. If you don't forgive other people, our text says God won't forgive you. That's hard. That is hard. That is hard because it is, for some of us, it's the piddly stuff that we can't let go of. There is some stuff that some of you all are dealing with that you're either having to forgive or you need to forgive that would absolutely blow our minds. I've got a buddy that I've been working with for the last couple of years. Um, he's been, been sober for a little over two years. Um, about a year into that sobriety, his son was murdered. God, you're telling me He's going to have to forgive that. If I take that text as literal and I take God's word as literal, that's what it says to me. Is that a process that goes, boom, I'm done, I'm finished, I forgive you? Oh, I don't believe so. I don't believe so. I think that is a process that you have to work through, and that may be a process that takes you to the day you die. And some of you all are dealing with stuff that heavy. 
you're trying to work through, trying to figure out. But how? How? How do I do that? And that's the struggle for me trying to share a message like this because this idea of forgiveness is so huge. It's almost like it's its own sermon series. It could be because of all the rabbit holes you could go down and all the weeds you could climb in and try to work on every situation that's there. Several years ago, I came across, um, came across this, uh, oh, what am I calling it? just a process. Okay, just, just, just a helpful, helpful process that I came across from Lee Strobel. And again, you may look at me and go, that's way too simple. And it could be. And if it is, I apologize for that. But it's a process that's helped me when I am humble enough to remember to go back to it. But that's often my issue is that I don't go back to that. And I try to bull through it on my own. I try to do it on my own power, and I'll be real, that does not work. Okay, that just simply, simply does not work. But this acrostic comes from Lee Strobel in his book, God's Outrageous Claims. We're going to use the word peace as an acrostic. We're going to remember five elements that can help us either make peace or keep peace with another one possible. So the P is that we need to pray. Matthew chapter 5, you have heard it said, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Primary element in the process of any forgiveness is to pray. The first thing you need to do is pray for them. Mama used to make me do this all the time. My brother, man, we fought. Let me tell you how bad it was. My daddy came home one time. My mama was laying on the bed sobbing. Sobbing. And he's like, what in the world is wrong, Marianne? And she simply looked at him and said, why did we have two of them? (laughs) It was bad. And we would get crossways with each other, and we'd be thumping on each other and just beating each other to a pulp. And she'd wade in and break it up, and then she'd like, okay, now you need to two pray to eat for each other. All I want to do is thump his gourd. I don't want to pray for him. It's real hard to be angry with somebody if you truly pray for them. Real hard to stay angry with somebody if you pray pray for them. Now, part of your prayer may incorporate what I talked about with that big thing. You may look at that like like my buddy is that that this dealing with his son being murdered, and you just simply go, God, I can't. There is no way I could do this on my own. Absolutely no way I need you to start working in my heart to be able to start doing this. It's going to take you. But we've got to ask. We've got to ask. And I truly believe when you ask with that faithful, humble heart, God will hear that and answer. The E in peace is empathy. 
Colossians chapter 3, verse 13, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. So another element in forgiving somebody is sometimes we just need to empathize with them. In other words, we need to see our enemy from a completely different form or, or completely different point of view. We have to turn from seeing them from our painful perspective to seeing them as, as how God sees them. As much as you don't want to or, or want to think about it, they are God's creation too. He loves them just like he loves you. He sent Jesus to die for them just like he did you. They have value to him. They bear his image even though it is clouded and distorted by sin. Martin Luther wrote, To love one's enemy does not mean to love the mire in which the pearl lies, but to love the pearl that lies in the mire. See, often what we find out is that hurt people hurt people. So we got to empathize. we got to see from a different perspective. The A in peace is that we need to act. To forgive, we've got to sidestep our feelings of re revenge and act in forgiving ways. The principle of action is what Jesus was teaching in Luke 6. He said, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Is that normal? <laughs> no. Is it easy? Heavens, no. Acting properly, acting in the right way, loving your enemy, doing good to them will be one of the hardest pills that you ever swallow. But the rewards that can come out of that are unfathomable. I mean, think about how Jesus handled himself on the cross. I shared, I don't know, two or three times ago, you know, if it had been me, Jesus, I'd have come down and I'd have thumped somebody, and then I'd have got back on the cross and finished. I just, I'm telling you, I'm a, mm. it's in there. But think about how he handled himself. He kept his mouth shut. Ask his father to forgive them because they didn't know what they did and were doing. And what was the result of that? An absolute pagan Roman centurion proclaimed, surely he was the son of God. Do good to those who hate you. The C in peace is to confess. Part of forgiveness is owning up to our side of the problem. More often than not, we share part of the blame for pushing the person into being our enemy. Sometimes it's our own jealousy. Sometimes it's our own stubbornness. Sometimes it's our own ambition. Sometimes it's even our own bad attitude that's contributed to the rift that is between ourselves and someone else. And few things accelerate this peace process and forgiveness process than when we humbly acknowledge our own wrongdoing. 
and we simply ask for forgiveness. This is a signal of our seriousness about the issue. James writes in his letter, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another. Do you see this confession, and it has to be more than like when you were kids. You know, when your mom would put you there and you're going to sit there until you kiss and make up. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And five minutes later, you go, got to be a change of heart. It's got to be a change of heart that maybe only God can work. The last element that we can see is just example. This last element should remind us that whenever we are not sure how to love an enemy, whenever we hesitate because of confusion about how in the world to proceed in this process, Whenever we wonder if we've gone far enough in our effort to reconcile, we simply need to look to the example of Jesus and model ourselves after him. Ephesians 4, forgiving each other just as in Christ, God forgave you. It's bottom line, that's our mission statement, is that we conform our lives to look more and more like him every day. And part of that, huge part of that, being willing to forgive. Father, I thank you. God, I thank you for what your son did for us on the cross. The debt we owed, we could never even start. Never, ever even begin to make a dent because of our sin. God, you said while we were still sinners, Christ died to save us. And Father, you have called us to a very difficult, very difficult action of our lives. And that's forgiving people that hurt us. God, may we just draw on your power. May we draw on your strength. Just lean on you as we attempt to do that every day. And show people grace just as you showed us. It's in your son's name I pray.